everyone. Welcome to the Life of Education podcast. So today we're here with Greg. So Greg, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Caroline. Uh, I'm a university academic in Australia. One of my fields of speciality is professional ethics. So basically we're going to talk about ethics today. <laughs> yes, yes. Ethics with a spin on uh, the fitness world, yes. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's quite important because I know from my... Uh, education through university we didn't really touch on ethics it was kind of always present and inherent in the modules that we would do you know you greet your client this way uh, do this look out from a rehab and an injury perspective taking notes down medical notes you've got to keep this safe confidential that was all there but it was never really under the heading of right this is how you behave and how you conduct yourself from an ethical standpoint so trickling down back through the diplomas and the certificates that I did, I'm certain that there's a huge population of fitness instructors and maybe yoga instructors who don't know, they're not not fixed on that. There's no formal education Mm. on ethics professionalism. It's just sort of... Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's like there's a page of ethics in your manual. They go, (laughs) read it on your own. And then when you get into the real world and you have to actually like practice and uh, be a professional within your industry then you start to say oh well maybe I didn't do that so great and and there needs to be a little bit of structure and guidelines as to that what's your experience of this yes so in in my case I'm in an unusual position of being a university academic with experience in teaching this field but myself and my partner also own two uh, fitness businesses so I've been able to see it from both sides from the practical side of what it's like to be a business operator within a within a field and then also knowing the the both the theory and the practice that happens in, in a more codified university setting so what I'd say to the, the fitness uh, industry gen more generally is it's been a less codified industry in, in relation to ethics so if you think about the traditional model of a professional being a doctor or a lawyer there's very strict and um and set codified rules about what is ethical practice as a doctor or a lawyer so for the fitness center fitness center industry and the fitness industry more widely i think there's been a little bit more of a we'll just wing it approach and your example is a classic one of there's a one page this is our principle of ethics so we'll read that on our own and we've yeah you just have to be a good person when you go out there and yeah that's your homework yeah there's your homework so yeah some some more structured codified thinking through of what it's like to be an ethical uh business provider whether that's an individual instructor within a larger company or your own your own company whether it's a sole trader or part of a larger larger corporation i I think it it would really benefit the fitness industry to be thinking through the the level of complexity that's involved in professional to professional relationships and also professional to client relationships Mm, yeah those things are important i think maybe um you can explain to us a little bit about the more uh academic aspects of ethics sure so the the and how it relates to the fitness industry that's a good place to start it is it is so the uh, in a traditional profession uh there's there's four key elements that define a traditional a traditional profession something like medicine or law being a, a, a typical example it would be that it's something that's engaged in the in the public interest that it's self-regulated that it's doing an important uh, type of service and that it involves extensive training or um, formalized education so from the ethics side of things uh, a traditional profession has had hundreds of years to work through and think through all the kinds of things that might be challenging in say practicing law or, or practicing medicine in the fitness industry as a relatively recent industry uh, it, it's, it's been less codified so in that sense we would call that less professionalized you might still do it as a job so you could be a professional footballer and your job is playing football for a living but that doesn't mean you work in a profession which is a codified structured industry that has specific ethical rules so the fitness industry i think is in one of those early emerging phases of trying to think through what kind of industry it should be and then becoming increasingly more regulated as it, as it moves on an example would, in Australia would be that, that some of the industry organisations that have cropped up, so they started off as a movement, whether it's um, 
you know, aerobics and then yoga and then and then Pilates and then CrossFit, all these kind of industries start off with industry operators as individual businesses and then an association uh, tends to, de- to develop. And from there, it, it provides an opportunity to have more codified uh, discussions around what ethical practice would involve. Uh, I think when you talk about self-regulated, like what's, what's the sort of position there? What, what do you mean by that? It's a, it's a good question. So uh, in the case of medicine, there would be some kind of medical tribunal or a, in, in Australia's case, there's the Australian Medical Association. That's an industry body that looks after registering and, and then also making judgments on professional practice about people that they've then allowed themselves to, to register. So once you've officially become a doctor who's licensed, that license can be taken off you. So the the self-regulate element is the 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 best people to make a judgment about if that's good practice would be people that also work in that same industry. So the person that knows best about is the doctor act, acting professionally is another uh, doctor or a, like a, a panel of doctors. So in a traditional profession like that, there's very very strict rules around membership of that association and and the the bargain that society makes with that association is you know what best describes medicine and health so therefore we will allow you to register and look after your your own members uh, so that, that element for for self-regulation hasn't been developed yet to that same level of, of structured codified uh, practice as as the tra- as the traditional professions in something like the fitness industry. Yeah, um, we were sort of talking briefly before the podcast that the one of the modules that we did in my university was taught to us by a physio who had been struck off for there was a scandal on a rugby pitch where um, they needed the team needed to get a substitute on. They had to kind of get they had to have a blood injury by the law of the game, the rugby match, to get the player off. So he had a little blood capsule, made his lip bleed, walked off, a little bit suspicious, gave a little wink. The opposition thought something was up. After the game, they banged on the door of the dressing room and the doctor and the physio cut the player's lip to show that there was a, a, an injury, a legit injury. And then this all came out to light. And then the, the physio was the most... The physio was struck off completely for his part in this. The doctor had a ban and the, and the coach had a ban. But the physio was then in the, in the room teaching us for an afternoon on sort of this is the mistake I made you guys need to be aware like there's a lot of things that go on with with ethics and um, he was talking about it from a position of he made a mistake you know don't make the same mistake he made but that was about all I mean we never had any structured guidance between of ethics and aside from patient confidentiality um, what do you think are like the biggest things that people are missing in the fitness industry it's a a really good question so I think people are pretty comfortable in the fitness industry about patient confidentiality you have some personal uh information about someone that might be quite sensitive as well and that should be treated with with respect so i I would if i had to take a a guess from my experience i'd say that's done reasonably well you'd have to be a bit of a cowboy operator to not be treating confidential information well so the areas that are missing are the are the more uh difficult professional judgment areas that only uh uh, developed through sustained reflective practice. So uh, that physio example, he knows that that's the wrong thing to do in that moment. Not not necessarily for his club, and that's the dilemma that he's placed within, but he knows that that's the wrong thing to do as someone who's meant to treat someone and improve their health. You shouldn't be in, deliberately injuring your client. There's no way he would think that that was okay practice. So in that in that sense, it, once once he gets caught, it's very clear from a professional standpoint that he's in, he's not been engaging in in correct practice. Hence a a, a ban. That sounds a really substantial one as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a major major um, change in his life from from being a, a, a registered physio to then having obviously to do, yeah. to do something else. Uh, in the case of physios itself, physios, chiros, uh, the things that are now, you can just start to call yourself a, a doctor of, of, of chiropractic or doctor of physiotherapy, a doctor of um, a, a few different medically trained uh, areas within the fitness industry. 
there's a little bit more of that same um, development that's happened about structured, codified areas of practice. Yeah. For the fitness industry more generally, I think there's still a, a significant gap between things that are, are clearly right and wrong, like like you should treat your client's information with confidentiality where the really tricky ones are is the is i agree i agree with you that there's not hasn't been a significant enough training for uh, future in fitness industry uh, professionals and also the ones people that are already engaged in practice that are then trying to do some continuing education um, practice so that that's a longer more difficult more nuanced form of training that you, that someone's going to need uh, years of, of practice and reflection to uh, for them to garner on their own but can be offered through education modules to help guide you through that process to try and speed up the process between this is what the industry that I'm in what is it to be a good professional in this industry and then thinking through those difficult situations of what do I do when I'm stuck in a in a in a uh, a morally or ethically challenging situation and I have to find a, a, a resolution and then how do I live with that resolution comfortably over a period of time as well. What would be a typical example of, of that sort of predicament? In, in the fitness industry, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So the two classic examples would be um, professional relationships between professionals themselves and their clients. I don't necessarily mean uh, personal relationships, but how you treat someone well over time and respectfully over time. Uh, in, in the health industry, you might be you might have some people that have not just medically difficult situations, but personally and um, emotionally difficult situations. So being the right kind of person to to support that person through their health experience, not just the fitness industry itself, but the other related professionals that are involved would be a, a classic example. Another one would be the professional-to-professional relationship. So how do you deal with other people in your specific uh, area of the health industry and how you deal with the uh, people in the health industry more generally, how you engage in uh, professionally reflective practice between yourself and other people that so are So like your field. colleagues, right? Could be your colleagues mm-hmm. in in your in your own practice, could be contemporaries who are competitors that you 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 deal with at a collegial level, so you might go to a conference, a professional association, further uh, education, and some ministries do that really well that the people are open and collaborative with one another and uh some industries do do that less well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, w- it would also be between yourself as the as the as the professional and other forms of, of professionals that relate to your industry. So it might be the chiro or the physio or the the doctor or someone else who's also treating that same person while you're engaged in in injury rehab. So th- there's a a number of different stakeholders that you might be. In, engaged with as a professional within the fitness industry and learning how to deal with the competing challenges of those stakeholders is, is a very tricky e- endeavour and I don't think it's trained well enough for people prior to their operation and you have to just kind of, at the moment, learn it as you go along. Yeah, it is a lot of practical learning. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that we decided to start a life of education was initially, obviously, you know, about my accident. Mm. Um, but after I uh, like got out of hospital and started walking, I started looking for uh, PTs here within Dubai. And I went to so many different PTs that were all professing that they were like rehab specialists. And all of the ones that I had gone to see were anything but. Uh, and they had no idea how to deal with any of the injuries that I had and were putting me through very generic like workouts that were very unsuited to my injuries and they actually made me a lot worse and obviously Keith and I met and uh, we were discussing this whole like industry like how how is this that it's okay for this to happen within this industry that they can take someone that's so injured and and not even think like actually no I'm not qualified to to take this person through all of these actions at all and people would just blag it and because I'm in the industry I was like no this is not right like this is definitely not right and there's a there's a lot of that unfortunately there's a lot of that exists all around the world Um, and I think sometimes people don't even realize when they're crossing that ethical boundary they don't realize well actually I'm, I'm here, I'm at the line, and I really need to consider this person's health over whether I think that I can do this. Does that make sense? It does, it does. And I think it's a really good example of what I was talking about before, that 
the industry is still relatively recent. So if you think about chiropractic or, or, or physiotherapy that have been around for decades in a codified sense, there's a clearer defined distinction about whether that would be ethical practice or not. So if you're in a fitness uh, industry that's less codified, you can get away with claiming anything that you like. You know? mm. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you're using research or evidence-based practice in, in what you're doing. So the, it's, a, it's a big challenge for fit, fitness industry around the world, not, not just here, not just um, in Australia or the States or wherever it's going to yeah. be. And I think it's a, it's a symptom of that being a relatively new uh, field. So people can still claim whatever they want to claim. And Whereas if you did that as a doctor and you, and you came out and you said, oh, I can cure cancer, and then people came along, well, show me the evidence that in, in peer-reviewed research that this is the case, then that person receives a, a lot of blowback you know, fairly mm. quickly. As a fitness industry professional, in, in going through your own experience, that's an interesting position to, to be in because you had enough expertise yourself to go, well, this person isn't helping me. They're actually hindering me. Mm. Someone else without your same level of experience might have gone in and just thought, oh, it must be me because yeah. yeah. I'm not getting better and this person's telling me that they're giving me the right form of treatment. And that so they know what they, they're They doing. know what they're doing. Yeah. And so you have a level of trust in, in their expertise. And that's what I mean about the it's less codified. So you just have to make a leap of trust rather than trusting a, a fully registered uh, codified form of practice like physiotherapy or, or chiropractic. Mm. You could be a, a yoga teacher. I've experienced that myself. I, uh, I've done yoga for a number of years and I went to yoga in a, in a place where we were on, on holiday and I went to a yoga class and I knew where the safe level of stretch was in a particular movement and the yoga instructor came behind me and said, no, you need to go further and pushed me further in the pose and, and I tore one of my hamstrings. So in that case, I, I knew my own safe level. That person was coming from a well-meaning place but they hadn't thought through the, the correct level of practice within their own discipline because the, the whole point of yoga is you listen to your body and you find mm. your your place where you, where you feel comfortable so mm. for, yeah, for yourself for the going through your own experience that's you've got a different hat that you can wear where you can you, you can evaluate is this person giving me the correct advice mm. without that same level of of expertise you're yeah. opening yourself up to to uh, not even necessarily deliberately dodgy practice but just well intentioned well-meaning practice that isn't at a sufficient level of of expertise and training yeah so what i find really interesting is because in the fitness industry you have so many different modalities so you have zumba and then you have crossfit and then you have pilates and then you have yoga and they're all very different they have different training um lengths different training requirements different everything and so you can be qualified in a specific field and have done a three-day course um and that doesn't give you the qualification the whole umbrella qualification gives you like a small segment of that um but then you're under the umbrella of i'm within the fitness industry i'm practicing within my scope of of practice and then it's it's like a little bit of a how do i say this um People deviate, so they're in Zumba, and then they do another three-day course, and then they're in Pilates, and then they do another like one-month teacher training intensive, and then they're in yoga, and they're funneling all the way around, but not really like understanding the full big picture. Yeah, and you use a an interesting cross comparison there between if you had someone who was professing to be a doctor, and then they let's just take for granted that they actually are formally qualified as a doctor but that's different from saying I'm a specialist in paediatric medicine or gastrointestinal disease or ocular disease those take a, a very large base of base level of training and then years of expertise in a particular area so for the fitness industry in one sense they're treating the whole person so just having one area of expertise in Zumba for three days or three months or, or mm. whatever it is gives them some expertise in that modality but it doesn't necessarily give them the expertise in the foundation the foundation yeah. underneath and then the whole umbrella of if I'm trying to treat this person for wellness and the fitness centre fitness industry really is about that it, it, it is about wellness it's either 
helping someone recapture an enhanced sense of wellness in the rehab side of things or in the enhancing my level of fitness or you know, maybe body shaping or whatever it is that's still in the in the in the space of wellness so to profess a level of expertise through a small amount of specialized training in one area is not going to garner you enough experience or enough expertise in the larger field of of wellness mm. so yeah i really applaud these kinds of endeavors that that the two of you are under, undertaking because mm. the fitness in- industry needs more good well-researched well thought through codified levels of, e- of education yeah well, it thanks yeah i appreciate that um but i think one of the things just to pick up on is you talk about the three-day courses here and there the problem that i find with them from a from my background is they coach people how to work with populations who are uninjured fit and able to do the endeavor the discipline the activity the up and down the side to side that's not how people show up in reality on the gym floor or in the studio or in yeah, the, or rarely. In the mm. yeah rarely super rarely like yeah. so then you everybody have has a back problem everyone has a twingling knee yeah. oh my shoulder yeah. hurts because i sit so much absolutely like, you speak to people you go are you injured no okay go down the, the, to the next few questions and then you start to feel that they stopped training six months ago because they're they got knee pain okay so we have a knee pain problem okay so just as well we sat and spoke before you joined that uh circuit class do you know because that might get worse yeah and then going back to what one of the things you said earlier on you get disgruntled the, the client potentially gets disgruntled and thinks it's their fault yeah but they would because the trust they put in the person was this injury wasn't factored in so that's omitted that's gone off the table and now the person can't do the clamp they can't do the squat they can't do the run because their foot or their knee hurts so pff, what's the point i'll just give up that's right so a classic example would be the the a fitness center that has one instructor up the front who is demonstrating practice so whether it's yoga or pilates or zumba or whatever it is the people across that room the 10 20 30 people in that room could potentially need all slightly modified instruction so it's a really good point that you make that the person who gets trained as an instructor is actually only as a modeler of of practice rather than what is the reality of this person's yeah. individual body and their fitness needs so in in our businesses for, for myself and my partner with her level of, of expertise she can t- tailor in the pilates industry this is what you need to do now and your body's not ready for this and this and this so that's more of a bespoke mm-hmm. approach to to fitness and the, the health industry and that level of expertise, it takes her instructors years to garner that level of expertise. So that's the difference between going to a class and seeing someone doing the practice. And usually they're very good at it. So there's a... There's the a, there's a, there's a Yeah, the instructor's yeah. very good at it. So the client thinks... I should look like that. Should look like that. Yeah. But maybe I should never be doing that whole section of exercise that they're now performing because my body's not not ready for that. Yeah. And that's that's a challenge for the industry between the, the model and also the personalized instruction. Uh, I I agree with you entirely, and I think it makes it very challenging for a business when they're trying to compete with the the fact that numbers equals greater revenue so when you have things like that that are okay well where do i draw the line between i'm going to fit x amount of people in a class because this is what the instructor can adequately look after and modify and take care of versus this studio needs to make this much money to stay open so i actually need to fit in 10 more people so there's a very very like fine line and with different modalities within the industry it's very different like yoga and Zumba and that they're very different the number of people that you can fit in and adequately make sure that they're safe yeah so the my own experience from going on a one-week yoga retreat for example is a I think it's a good point of comparison the there was an expert instructor who was the runner the overall person running the the retreat the organizer but the, the organizer but also the 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 main instructor that that but then that person had uh, assistants that were walking around the room giving individualized attention so you know you shouldn't be doing this remember to modify for this etc 
So we do that in our own businesses as well. Part of uh, Helen's training programs are building expertise up in her instructors over time, and they'll they'll spend hours with her being an assistant to, mm. to help build that expertise. More broadly, though, that's very difficult to do and still make enough money in in the fitness industry. So it's a good point that you make. How do I scale up the number of people in my class and still provide satisfactory? health benefits to everybody in that room it's not something that's going to be an easily fixable uh, issue it's something that the industry needs to engage with if you think about it compared to a traditional profession you wouldn't think about walking into a medical practice and the doctor comes out the waiting room and goes okay everybody's going to get well today now let's just follow me Mm. and oh i can see that you're actually feeling worse now so you stop (laughs) doing this now you can't do this and you can do it so that that type of instruction is is a different model the model and copy is different from a traditional profession so for a traditional profession you have a enhanced level of expertise in the person that you're placing your trust in and that that's what the fitness industry doesn't have to copy but it needs to learn from that it's very difficult to give individualized attention in large group settings so then how the business decides to allow clients to enroll in those i think then that that becomes a very important key because you can actually be doing harm to your clients and for yourself actually it's not a good long long term strategy because that person that gets injured then stops coming as a client mm. and maybe gets turned off the form of practice altogether so it's something that, that each business needs to think through how can they both scale up for profitability and also uh, allow enough individualised attention that mm. they're, they're, they're catering to each person's needs yeah see this is a funny thing about about ethics that those lines are always grey they're always grey so yeah. grey because it's like okay well let's squeeze in two more yeah, people yeah, into yeah. this class <laughs> and, and then it's that la- it's the butterfly that broke the camel's back yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. in your case the camel's yeah. back <laughs> for, for, for my back. yeah your back yeah, yeah that's right and it, it re- relates really well to that example of the of the physiotherapist that's a clear black and white and that physiotherapist knew that they were doing the wrong thing to cut the lip they were still involved in an ethically difficult situation because the needs of the club are also part of, the, of their stakeholder requirements. They're, they're employed by the club to be a physiotherapist. Yeah. So that, I, you can understand the person feel, being, feeling drawn in that direction. The, the really interesting ones are the grey versus grey. That's the where we spend our hours when we train in professional ethics in trying to build up that that level of thinking not just through case study and practices Mm. and practice thinking but also I try to instill in my university students the idea that they're always going to be engaging in this and they need to be engaging in peer-to-peer reflection so I think picking up on the sort of the gray areas that is sort of the the one that people have trouble with like Mm. because not only is it sometimes you're aware that I'm in the gray area sometimes you don't even know that you're in that area so like from your lectures what would be your sort of typical example that you'll be able to bring this to people's attention yeah so the the, the area that we do the most work in 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 at the university level is in moral dilemmas so uh, black versus right uh, black versus white a right versus wrong situation should be relatively easy to find an answer to should i take a bribe well no i shouldn't so it might be might be morally challenging because I might want to take that bribe, but it, there's a clear right versus wrong decision involved there. So the right versus right, the grey area ones are the are the trickier ones. So at the university level, what we try to do is take people through case studies and get them to engage with their peers that are then being trained in that same area to think through how they might resolve that. And there is no single perfect answer to to any of those case studies. What I teach, though, is doesn't mean there's there's any answer. So it's not a, just a free-for-all. The, the, there's going to be an, an, a set number of answers. It's not one, but there's going to be plural answers, but not no answer at all, and there's also not any answer at all. So either of those isn't reflective practice. Uh, there's no answer. It's just your answer is as good as mine, or any old answer will do. That's not reflect, re, re, actual proper reflective practice is engaging through the plural possible answers and finding a justified response that you uh, feel comfortable with. 
that's even trickier over time. So over time, do I feel comfortable with those kind of decisions that I've made? Yeah. And do I feel comfortable when I and tell other people about that, other professionals that I'm engaged with or other people involved in, in my business or company? So at the university level, what we're trying to do is mimic those situations in case study and peer-to-peer discussion in the hope that that builds a sense of, of reflective practice that that person takes on through their journey in their in their post-university training should become a habit of practice in tricky situations i stop and i think through all of the potential ramifications of this situation i question myself i interrogate myself am i doing this from a a justifiable reason through uh, form of practice or am i just trying to find an easy way out so challenging yourself first challenging yourself through talking to other peers that you feel comfortable with so whether that's doctors talking to doctors or accountants to accountants teachers to teachers and in the fitness industry that is possible unless you're a a sole trader and a sole trader can still find a a trusted confidant to to bounce ideas off but in most settings you're going to have someone else that you can potentially think through those difficult situations so in particular in this scenario within the fitness industry you're recommending that if people get to situations where they find they're in a moral dilemma that they should speak to their peers about what the best course of action is and then do self-reflection of course which is what you just explained yes so yeah i mean even if you have no access to someone else then start with self-reflection so good proper training in, in professional identity helps you think through what kind of principles I use to operate on. Now, when people go through my university training on ethics, they might know at the end that, oh, I'm primarily something that's called a consequentialist. So I I find the way that the, the answer is correct by the method that produces the greatest happiness for the greatest number. Or they might find that I'm a deontologist and I use prior uh, moral principles regardless of of consequences. And they learn that about themselves, that I'm this type of reasoner. But most people are a a mixed reasoner, so finding some some sense are they just the two options well yeah there's 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 there's, there's lots yeah (laughs) i was just using a couple because they they they, we use them as a a yin and yang uh, Mm. um, compare and contrast example so for finding your own sense of 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 professional practice and reflective morality that's your first step so the to the second part of your question about how can I discuss this with someone else, that's fantastic. But that's also another level of complexity because that person's got to be prepared to be as confidential about mm. that information as and what impartial, I am. Yeah. Impartial, confidential, reasoned, mm. thoughtful, not self-interested. Yes, Those are all tricky. Your interests your interest in yeah. mine and the client's interest in yeah. mine as well. Or if it is, it might be something that's nothing to do with client. It might be something in your own um, professional practice that you're struggling with. So that trusted confidant is a really valuable tool. And through my own practice at the university level, there's people that I can have those discussions with. A classic example would be a psychologist. Every psychologist has their own psychologist. You know, they need somewhere to where they go to to, to help unwind because you need to bounce some ideas off, off yeah. somebody. So in the fitness industry, that, that would be really useful, either peer-to-peer within the same company or between yourself and, and, and a trusted other. To bounce ideas, hmm. um, how do you determine that you're in a dilemma if you have no training? whatsoever yeah that's a really good question and we've probably all seen this in practice that someone's only realized that after the fact they've they've just gone with their gut instinct or whatever was the easiest solution and then that's come back to 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 haunt them afterwards i mean the it might be I didn't know what I was doing or sometimes you get a little inkling of, oh, I think I'm taking the easy way out here, but you didn't listen to that voice. That, yeah. that voice is your not necessarily your conscience, but another part of your reasoning faculty that's saying, hang on, take a little bit of time here. So the for our training at the university level, that's what I really want my future professionals to do is to just stop, take a breath, take a beat, have a think through things first and then if you need to bounce those ideas off somebody else because without running into that it's usually experience has taught you that from something that's gone wrong whether that's come back later that you found out you did the wrong thing or the clients come back and said you know i, I realized that what you did was was incorrect or you've you've 
destroyed a peer-to-peer relationship, whatever those kinds of examples will be, if you haven't been uh, formally taken through some guided practice on how you develop professional yeah. identity, then experience is going to teach you that. In, the, in hard way. the hard way. Yeah. Yeah, the hard way. I think those things always happen suddenly too. Suddenly you're doing the wrong thing and it's like, oh, yeah. I didn't even know where that line was. How yeah, did that yeah. happen? And you're in a situation, you have to think really quickly, like what am I going to do here? Am I going to do this or this or this? Sometimes... Uh, being able to reflect and ask people that doesn't it doesn't happen it doesn't happen yeah so what you want to do over time is build the kind of practices that make that less common you're still going to be stuck in tricky situations but if you've had practice reasoning through situations Mm -hmm. at least you've you've got some experience to draw upon and i think sorry to interrupt you there but i think uh that happens say if i do everything as ethical as possible and within the scope of my practice and all of that stuff then the chances of me messing it up are diminished yes then it's an external factor so i have somebody else that's coming in and, and interplaying here and then causing say moral dilemmas yes but it's not coming from me yes and well, it still right. yeah, it still can come from you. Like, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, but none of, none of us is perfect. But yeah. an experience teacher that's part of the the engaged process. But I'm less likely. I've got a more solid base to draw from, and and my ethical compass has some consistency to it. That's a really uh, strong position to come from. Doesn't mean you're going to get it perfectly correct every time, mm-hmm. but it just means that. Like you said, your, your possibilities of something going wrong through lack of thought on your own on your own behalf mm. are, are diminished. Things can still go wrong, for, as you said, from external stakeholders or just just through bad luck. But at least I'll have created less problems for myself in my own practice by yeah. thinking through it. I think sometimes you're in a catch twenty two where both options are not good. Yeah, and it's like I have to, I can't come out of this on top. Yes, mm. I've. Something's happened, whatever it is, you name it. But it's a case of I need to figure out either maybe what's best for me, what's best for them, what's the least damaging to... Mm. And then you have to sort of position yourself and wear your own values. And then from there... Yeah, because at the end of the day, you have to do something that also sits well with who you are as a person Mm. um, and your like interests as well Mm. um so you mentioned before that some things that you do at the university levels case studies um maybe we can throw some examples your way and you can yeah yeah should we do it yeah and and (laughs) feel free it's the 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 wrong versus wrong is also as much of a dilemma as the right versus right i have both of these things are going to be wrong and which is the the least worse that's the same level of, of but reflection. But for whom? For whom, that's right. So I can be doing the least worst thing for me, but yeah. something very vastly worse for you. For, correct. Or vice then, versa. Then that's acting from a point of self-interestedness. So yeah, yeah so the a traditional profession acts in the public good first. So that's always your answer as a professional, that if I'm a doctor and this is the best thing for, my, for the health of my patient, then that comes first in those situations of... of of difficulty so the hippocratic oath of first do no harm that mm-hmm. idea of the foundation of health that's a good place to start and sometimes that means you've got to take one for the team yeah. as the professional this is not the, in the best interests of me but it is in the best interests of, of my client so would you maybe recommend that people adopt that philosophy like doing doing yeah. what's best for my client first yes yeah I, I think it's a good model to use for the uh, an emerging industry like the fitness industry to to model upon if it wants to, to become more professionalized my client's interest all things being equal come first yeah so it might be that the client's interests aren't always on top but it's a good place to to start is mm-hmm. am i doing the right thing by the health of of my client i think mm-hmm. taking your example of when you started looking for a a coach to help you um like you touched on earlier they're coming from a good place mm. number one mm. but uh i think like in that sort of dilemma the person should be able to identify right this is beyond my scope yeah so first and foremost i shouldn't be doing this so Correct. this is i'm gonna actually st- stop and say i can't help this person with my exercise prescription but can i help this person through another referral or can I sit down and kind of rationale like any advice they need? Maybe there's another way I can help them. Mm. But then that actually does work out in the coach's favor in the long run because that client is going to leave with a 
solid foundation of trust in that professional. Yes. That look, this he or she couldn't help me, but they didn't missell me. They did put me first, and I have the utmost respect for that coach. So in this instance, in my example, that would have been the right thing to do, mm. but no one did that. No one did that, that's right. <laughs> at all. And the short-term self-interestedness of, I want this client, I want this money, is, mm. a, big, is a big draw card. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. huge. It's huge. So it's a, it's a good point of connection because long-term, it's a, bit, it's a better business strategy for you to provide excellent client-based service that's going to help you in, in, in the long run. Maybe it's through referral. Maybe it's through that person being an, uh, a willing spokesperson. It, you haven't sold them on being your advertiser, but if you engage in excellent client-focused ethical mm-hmm. practice, that person will become a word-of-mouth uh, spokesperson for you just because you've treated them the, the, the right way. So the, the draw of that short-term financial game, gain, we all know that that's always a, a pull, but a better long-term strategy for uh, reflective professional practice. Actually build your, your reputation uh, over time and then that's probably a better long-run yeah. strategy in, in a business sense as well, as, as well as it being a more satisfying form of, of reflective practice. Hmm. Um, is there any other ones that you would see in the fitness industry that you can that you can think about offhand? Yeah, maybe p- particularly because you're also a business owner. Hmm. Do you have any other examples that maybe you can share with with people about some dilemmas that you've gone through and what was your rationale and how you came to conclusion? Came to a conclusion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> found a solution. Yeah, it mightn't hmm. be a perfect solution, but found the best reason through solution. So one example I can think of uh, is the, the long-term instructor of instructors model. So how does a fitness industry provide instruction for future instructors in that same modality? So how do yoga teachers te- uh, teach f- future yoga teachers, how do Pilates teachers, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're a provider of that instruction, it's beholden upon you to treat them well. Uh, an example would be in, in her own business experience about when Helen has trained someone, she'll always treat that person well over time. Come back to me for further training, you know, mm. I, I wish you well, give you referrals, all that kind of stuff. So from her perspective, uh, I'm very pleased and, and proud of her uh, ethical practice as far as that's a the right thing for her to do, for her to feel comfortable as a long-term business owner in the in the industry, but it's actually a good business strategy, like we talk about it. It's a good mm-hmm. long-term business strategy that helps garner r- respect and trust in, in your brand. That's not always re- reciprocated by every person that you train doesn't necessarily uh, maintain that same sense of, of ethical practice. Mm-hmm. So it, Helen's had examples in the past of where mm-hmm. she's trained people and then they've gone on and engaged in unethical conduct mm-hmm. As a competitor in the industry, it would be one example. So how do I try and steal business off, off somebody else who's already up and running? Or it might be that then they, they go ahead and do uh, an unethical form of practice with mm. their own clients. Yeah. So they'd be uh, clear examples that we've run into over mm. the years as business owners. And how did you... How did we resolve it? Yeah. So in, in that case... Um, or maintaining the high, the moral high grounds, a, a good strategy because you could you could fight fire with fire and, and, and engage in un, un, unethical practice. But as well as making that feel, making you feel bad about yourself, that's mm-hmm. that's contrary to your own brand. So over time, that person will either succeed or not in their own endeavours. Mm. But if you remain true to your own principles, then you won't be contravening your own own brand. And yeah. If, if they do well by being sneaky and cheat the system, good luck to them. But over time, things tend to... to unravel? Yeah, <laughs> unravel. If, if someone's engaging in an unethical practice, yeah. then over time it, it's more likely to be uh, apparent in other areas of, of, of their business. Mm. So let's think through another practical example would be um, ethical practice with clients. So... Mm. I think that's a a big one as well, sorry to interrupt you again, especially because these days so much of what fitness professionals do is on social media. Mm. So they're showcasing their bodies sometimes very 
bestly dressed. Mm. Um, so it does blur the lines. That's what you're talking about, right? Well, yeah, th- to uh, a degree. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good example of uh, what we were talking about before about being the model and exemplar, whether that's on social media or up the front of the class, and then the client wanting to mim- mimic that either in their own practice or as an aspirational goal. So the the, the proper practice with that that client is a different approach than that model and repeat one of, of social media. So social media can help for a sense of belonging within a, a, a particular business. So it might help you feel attached to that business by what you can see. It might be an aspirational goal. But as a mode of instruction, it can only be for uh, repetition through modelling rather than individualised care. Mm. So for, for us, the challenge in this social media world now is to find that line between the best instruction is one-on-one person to person and the worst individualized instruction is social media on on instagram you know that's the either end of the spectrum because you don't get anything from that that's individualized you just get them you get to see a model especially because the fitness industry is moving so much into like app training yeah um like everybody is an app now and they can like go to the gym and use do everything on that app and yeah it's, it's very yeah that's actually we had i had a conversation with somebody recently only last week about is it ethical to do an instagram post and say this is how you this is the how-to and you have a video or you have an image and you have text from top to bottom with key points and things like it's not the best way to learn mm. and yeah. i wonder who does learn was that's where the conversation came from like do people learn but the question was raised, like, it, it's not the best way to teach. No. It's a quite a complex thing that you nearly shouldn't put your, th- put your, uh, put the thoughts out there, put, yeah. you know, put the teaching out there, because that's all well and good, like we spoke about earlier, when you have someone who can move and do everything correctly, they can, yep, tick the box, off they go, but as soon as something goes wrong, they're reflecting back off this piece of text and this image. Yeah. Um, and learning like very advanced yoga poses on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, about that as well. I'm going to learn how to handstand from like two little yeah. screenshots and some And it's text. almost like the person is just trying to showcase their own knowledge. Yes. Rather than really having the person but, at the end. But then you also have interest. the other side of it. Like yeah, it's important yeah. for, for people who can actually do it. Like the information should be there. Mm. People should know yeah. how to be able to handstand if they want to and have access to that information. But it's like there's a, a grey. It's a grey on grey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's gray area. Let me ask you this. Is there a difference or what is the difference or is one a subset of the other between ethics and professionalism? Good question. So, so ethics would be the larger field and, and professionalism well, professional ethics would be a, a subset of the field. So uh, if I could explain ethics as the codified version of our moral sense of right and wrong. So we have different ways that we come up with right and wrong, and that's changed across time through history. It's also changed between cultures and, and still different between cultures now. So our, our morality is our sense of right and wrong. And as long as we've had human history, we've had some form of, of morality. It's probably actually existed before we were humans. You can see what we would use as a term of morality. You can see different types of moral practice being exhibited by other species. So whether it's cooperative behaviour or empathy or sympathy or those kinds of moral uh, dimensions that have an, an emotional element. When ethics as a field started to emerge, it's more the 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 structured, codified practice and training and thinking about what we have a sense of morality about. So the ethics itself for us at a university level is them learning about the theories and the practice that is involved in training ourselves in our sense of, of morality. The professional ethics element has, been, has traditionally come off that as training in those areas that I talked about that met those met those four areas so law and medicine being the archetypal examples of what do you do as as a professional rather than as a profession professional soccer player someone who plays soccer for money as a person who works in a profession in one of these trusted areas that are designed to try and benefit the public good so the interesting bit for the health industry that we've been talking about is it kind of fits in that space because we're trying to help people be well either rehabilitate them from a 
position of of dysfunction or enhance their function to a a, a, a new level. For professional ethics itself, that's why it doesn't exist yet in the in the fitness industry. Because as we've talked about, it, we're coming from a position where it's still relatively young, and it hasn't gone through that codified set of practices yet that physiotherapy or chiropractic has. So, if we're thinking about um, how it should develop, I think probably over time the fitness industry needs to become more developed in this area about what is reflective, engaged professional practice and, and engage in more prior training and ongoing continuing education training. If we can connect that back to the example of the social media about how it is a useful tool, I can see it as a as a excellent form of practice but whether that's right for me as the end user is a different uh, concern for ourselves for our, our businesses social media is only for brand identification and also for exemplar modeling but really it works best when it's integrated with individualized instruction so the best position you can be in is I learn stuff from social media and I also do real life stuff with someone Mm -hmm. on the ground and they're the person that has the expertise to say "Eh, that's not for you or not for you yet or tweak it this way modify it this way so it's not always possible for someone to have that integrated experience of real life experience with with a a fitness professional and online but that would be the the ideal and that's the way that we try to approach it uh, it can also be that someone's just already healthy and up and going, and they're, they're actually okay to use that as their as their primary method. Mm. For for our businesses, it's there for access for someone who can't be in the studio. So, a classic example: Helen used to always get requests from clients in the days before social media. Can you give me a list of exercises? I'm going on holidays and I really want to keep up my mm. practice. So give me a list of exercises and I'll go through it while I'm away. So she used to do that and social media now provides her a better tool for doing that, of access these forms of exercises through yeah. through videos. But that's still based on I already know your body. The basics. Yeah, mm. the basics. Yeah. We, we developed a relationship and now this enhances your practice in, in another area. That's different from I saw a yoga person do a upside-down headstand uh, amazing on a beach somewhere in yeah. Bali, so now I should try that myself yeah. in my living room when I've got back, back issues. Yeah, that's a, that's a different world away. Yeah. Mm. So then how can the fitness industry get to the stage where there's a codified set of ethics? Yeah, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good question. So uh, let's use Australia as an example. The... Some of the fitness modalities have developed their own professional associations and over time they've become more codified. For example, needing to be registered as a trainer of such and such exercise or having forms of of CECs, continuing education credits, to to maintain your certification. So that can be one form that that the industry can can undertake, a more formalised approach to training, whether it's Cert 1, 2, 3, 4, through through Yeah, this is what we're kind of doing exactly continuing education exactly and that has a in this space i think that's really useful for not just social media but all kinds of interactive online experiences because live in a classroom where we're and right now when we're discussing this is synchronous we're having a discussion at the same time but if you run an online course it has to be asynchronous you watch something or you read something and then maybe you uh, email back a question or do an assignment there's a gap in that so th- the learning happens asynchronously I teach you something you learn it and then you demonstrate to me that you understand it the difference between that now is that you can do a little bit of live uh, classroom sharing it might be all in a virtual classroom at the same time so that's an- another possibility for synchronous for synchronous learning so uh, for continuing education it's a fantastic opportunity for you to access something that you don't readily have access to in yeah. in person on the ground that should be then integrated into your own practice. Yeah, particularly when you already have a foundation. Mm, That's yeah. the important part. Mm. Um, developing that have, that foundation, having like, okay, I understand this, 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 but I want to learn more about A and C. Yeah, where are the gaps in my practice? Yeah. So if I'm thinking of myself as a, as a professional in the field of health, 
and going back to our earlier example, I've done a three-day course in Zumba, then I need to be aware that I'm only at the beginning of a very, very long and fantastic, wonderful, you know, enlightening journey, but I'm only at the beginning. That doesn't mean I'm now an expert even in Zumba. I've only done a, a, little, a little short course. But recognising where the gaps are in my whole field of experience I think would be a useful endeavour for any professional uh, in the fitness industry to, to start thinking through maybe even concept map it I think it would be a good idea if the field more generally through platforms like your own had a an understanding of this is where all of the fields that you could be engaging in education can allow you to go and then you can start to pick and choose yeah. what you're interested in and also yeah. build that field of, of, of training I think that's important because a lot of the stuff that we do in the fitness industry is practical mm. so mm. do you do you travel to the US to do a course that you realized oh, I wasn't actually that interested in it or can you get an intro to what it might involve through our, pl- our platform or through some other platform where okay this is oh I'm not interested in that at all or wow that's got me okay let me look into this and then you can go down that but you can't do that if you don't have access if you don't have the stimulation to go yeah and expose yourself to it yeah so I think that's that's one of our main missions of this yeah um, and these conversations as well is to just give people exposure to different ideas yeah things that they're not necessarily thinking about because you don't realize going back to the ethical dilemmas you don't realize sometimes that you're in it mm. until it's too late mm. and if you want to go selfish it could cost you it could cost your reputation it could cost you financially it could cost you your job um if you do something that you just had no idea and you're always there from the good place meaning well at the very beginning and it's 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 unfortunate that you got entangled in that mess and you know system or mechanism or fallback to help you um so i think yeah yeah i think the ramifications of not of not acting ethically are huge to like like you were just touching on about your reputation and then about your relationships within the industry and your peers and then also the legal ramifications like if you hurt somebody well here it's a little bit different because the law is very um different but say in countries like america or australia you can have very serious legal ramifications for saying that you're qualified to do something and not actually being able to do that or um, injuring somebody or hurting them. So it's important for people, my point is, that it's important for people to actually start to think about about this and one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on. Mm, thanks. Yeah, so the, the platforms like this, I think, are a, a fantastic idea for exposure to what I don't know yet. Yeah. And that's the first step if we think about that example of I, I did something wrong and I didn't even realise till afterwards I came from a good place and then oh, actually that was the wrong thing to do experiences taught me that so I wasn't aware that I didn't know so I didn't do it from a you know yeah. Machiavellian sneaking I'm going to do it because I'm, I'm an evil little so and so I did it from a well intentioned yeah. place so becoming aware of what you don't know is the first step I think, yeah I think it's important to remember that some people just they don't know what they don't know yeah so through some of the examples that we've been thinking about, a well-intentioned person can be thinking they're doing the, the right thing and then experiences taught them through trial and error that actually they, they shouldn't have been doing that. Experiences taught you that you didn't know what that you didn't know. So it would be better through platforms such as this that people experience that they know they don't know the answer before experience teaches them that the hard lesson through trial and error. So for someone to know they don't know is the first step to being able to realise that I now have the answer. I've yeah. now become sufficiently expert in this area that now I know that I know. Because it they, they all comes from the same place, doesn't it? Like they make a mistake genuinely. Mm. They say, oh, you know, I, I thought I was doing my best, I thought I was doing right, and now I just realised, uh-oh, you know, that wasn't possibly yeah. the best way to do it. I mm. also think when people are new to an industry too, they, they don't realise until you've already made a mistake. Like yeah. you don't... I know a lot of uh, colleagues who um, put lots of photos on social media and then they get unwarranted attention and they don't realise that that's going to happen until it's already happened. And then they're receiving all of this attention from male clients who want to do sessions with them but only for a specific mm. reason. So it's it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And Yeah, it, I put the wrong messages out into yeah, the universe. Yeah. We see, it's interesting because... 
the the industry is like a young professional industry. There's not somebody who's in their late 30s, early 40s, in their 50s, sitting in the boardroom, sit, you know, over a coffee, relating 20 years of experience yeah. to the new guy or the new girl. Mm. It's just all young people. Like yeah. the old, the old people tend to move on out of the industry. So, I imagine people make the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah, that's a it's a really good point. So, uh, the if the archetypal fitness person has just come out of training is, you know, a, a teenager or an early 20s person and they're young and fit and healthy and they're, they're expert in their form of practice. It doesn't mean they're an expert instructor, but they're expert in their own form of practice. I'm, a really, I'm really good at yoga, I'm really mm-hmm. good at Pilates, really good at CrossFit, Zumba, whatever it's going to be. That's very, very young if we were thinking about in, a, in comparison to a, to a professional I'm just out of medical training. Well, it takes six years for a start, so I can't get out until I'm 24. But then I'm also supported for years after that by well-experts, you know, well-researched, well-trained experts in the field. The industry of young professionals has a churn through, and, yeah. and th- that person that's coming in can be a really bright-eyed, well-meaning person who runs into difficulty only th- through experience it would be great if there was more yeah. learning involved in the industry and it's certainly something that we do in our businesses you know because helen's been instructing for for 25 years in this field she's able to take a, a mentor role and that would be better if the industry had more of that yeah. available both mm-hmm. mentoring at the, at the expert level not just i'm good in my area but i'm a genuine expert in the entire field yeah be great for mentoring for that and these kind of platforms allow some some access to that so at mm-hmm. least you can see oh hang on i really don't know everything here and, and i should you know, increase my skill base think yeah. about my practice mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Greg, for for all of your knowledge and for imparting it. Um, if people want to like uh, follow up with you or find you on social media, how do they do that? Unless you don't want to be found. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for myself, we'll we'll provide some contact details through mm-hmm. your site. But the the, the two businesses that we mm-hmm. own are, are Pilates Moves, and so that's PilatesMoves.com, mm-hmm. and we own Emergy Pilates, which is EmergyPilates.com.au. Yeah, and, and they're both on Instagram. Both on Instagram mm-hmm. and, and connected through socials as well, yeah. And you've Amazing. filmed a short talk for us for the website that people will be able to, to watch on a life of education.com. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, well, thank you for coming in. Yeah, Welcome thanks, Greg. Looking forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.